at today. Um, we are in week two of the series called At the Movies, and uh, uh, we had a lot of fun last Sunday kicking it off, great day, and uh, even though the weather was kind of crazy, we still had a very memorable uh, baptism at the beach for those that were able to do that uh, last Sunday. Um, the idea behind this series is, uh, is pretty simple. Uh, we're, we're basically just using some popular movies that are either out or have been out recently uh, as, as a hook, as a tool to talk about, uh, dig into some spiritual truth. Because we do believe that a lot of people today get a lot of what they believe about life, about spirituality, even about God by the movies that they watch. So instead of just putting our head in the sand and ignoring the culture or taking the other extreme, condemning the culture uh, by what we see in movies and in the world today, we're going to do what Jesus did, what the Apostle Paul did, what early Christ followers have always done, and that is we want to engage the culture, uh, redeem the culture. Uh, we're going to open up God's Word like we always do here at Coastal, and we're going to speak the truth in love. We're just going to use some of the themes in current movies to do that. Now, last week, we kicked off the series by using the new X-Men movie uh, to talk about our deep need for community, that God created us to, uh, for one another, that we are better together, that we are stronger together. And we used that uh, really to kind of push you and challenge you, encourage you to join a life group and to get involved in our small group ministry. And we talked about a lot of the benefits that you would receive if you would to join a life group. Well, today... Uh, we're going to look at a Disney movie called Million Dollar Arm. Uh, not a lot of people have probably seen this movie. Uh, it's still in the theater, barely, I think. But anybody here happened to see the movie already, Million Dollar Arm? Just only a few people uh, in the first service had seen it. Um, Christopher and I uh, went to go see it last week. And my quick review, uh, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down on this movie, is that it is a good movie. It's a thumbs up. Um, I would say that... It's, uh, it's not a great movie, but it's a really good movie. And I like to judge movies. I don't know if you're like this or not, but sometimes I will judge movies based on whether they're theater-worthy or it's a good renter. You know, if you're going to spend the time and money and effort to go see it in the theater or just wait until it comes out. And I would say that it's definitely a good renter, but it might be worth, you know, catching it in the theater before it leaves as well. Um, it is, to kind of give you an overview of the movie, it is one of those uh, feel-good underdog sports movies, okay? And uh, I, li I like a good uh, underdog uh, sports movie. Any anybody, uh, what are some other good underdog sports movies that have been out in recent years? Okay, Rudy, that's a great one. You know, maybe Blindside, Hoosiers. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of great movies. Now, I don't think it's one of those movies, but it's a good movie. Um, but it's based on the recent true story of these two baseball pitchers from India, Rinku and uh, Dinesh. And they were discovered in India by this uh, sports agent. His name is J.B. Bernstein. And uh, the, the way that he discovers him is that, or these, these two pitchers, is that he goes to India and he has a kind of a reality show competition called Million Dollar Arm. And I'm not going to let the whole, I'm not going to give you a big spoiler alert of the movie, but what, but what, because it is a sports underdog movie, but it's different from a lot of other movies like that. And, and it's different 
And one of the reasons why it's different is one of the reasons why I want to use it for Father's Day today is that the movie is not necessarily about the two pitchers, about the two athletes. Really, what the movie is all about is the change that takes place in the sports agent, J.B. Bernstein, the transformation that you see in his life. Because for most of the movie, honestly, he's just kind of a typical male, especially in that environment of uh, high sports and, and uh, money. Um, for, for most of the movie, he is shallow, um, he is self-absorbed, he, he is a jerkwad, okay? He is a, you know, and uh, he, throughout the movie, especially in the beginning, he's a lot more concerned with business, with making money than he is in, you know, the people around him. He's a lot more uh, wrapped up in his playboy lifestyle than he is in, in, in real relationships. And there's a certain point in the movie, uh, honestly, you want to punch him in the face. And uh, he really is kind of a, kind of a typical cultural male. And that's what I want to talk about today. I don't want to be a typical man. I don't want you to be a typical man. You know, I, I don't think we need more typical men the way the culture defines and describes manhood. We don't need any more of that. We need real men to rise up and to be the man that God has called them to be. And I want us to talk about that today in a very straightforward way. Listen to what uh, King David said. These are his final words to his son as he's lying on his deathbed. So this is, this is a big deal, right? 1 Kings chapter 2, listen to this. As the time of King David's death approached, he, get, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage, and then what does he say? Be a, be a man. Now why in the world would a father say that to his son? Why would David look in the eyes of his son and say, take courage, be a man? Well, I think one of the reasons might be is that David knew that there is a battle going on in the heart of every man. There is a battle going on for the heart of every man. And I believe that not only to be true back then, but I believe it to be true today. And that's why I want us to talk about this. Ladies, if you are married, I challenge you right now to begin praying for the heart of of your husband. If you are in a dating relationship, I challenge you, ladies, pray for the heart of your boyfriend. Ask that the Almighty God, the loving Heavenly Father, would open up his heart and that he would begin to understand the truth of God's Word, that he would grow a pair, and he would be a man. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this. The Apostle Paul says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be what? Men of courage. Be strong. Here we are again. Fast forward to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is telling men 
to be strong. Now, why? Well, honestly, I think he looked around and he saw that men were not being strong. They were not walking in the strength that God had given them. They were nothing more than typical men, men of the culture, men of the world. And, and, and ladies, if you are here today and you're thinking you're about to check out that this message has nothing to do with you, it does. If you're not married, listen, ladies, you need to learn and discover what it is that makes a, a, a godly man, the kind of man that, that God intended for you to be with and to settle for nothing less. Now, guys will never say this. You know, we don't want to admit this. But every single man in this room today wants to know that, that they are strong, that they have what it takes. Every boy grows up, in fact, wanting to be a man. But the reality is, too many men today, you know, just like the character in this movie, they're basically looking for the wrong thing to find their manhood. They're, they're, looking, for the, they're looking at the wrong definition. They're looking at, at the culture and saying, okay, well, this, is must, this must be what it is to be a man. And again, just like the main character in this movie, we're told growing up, well, hey, if you just get the right job, you know, if you can make enough money, if you drive the right car, if you sleep with the right girls, then you can be a man. Now, what's happened, though, is that a lot of men are growing up and they're getting older and they've discovered that all of that, all of that falls way, way short in what it is to be a man. And then a lot of women are, are, you know, they're getting older and they're discovering that what they thought it was that made a man is not what makes a man. And they're frustrated. Ladies, let me let you in on a little secret about your man. Do you know what the number one need of every man is? It's not what you're thinking. Let's say it. It's not sex. Now, he might tell you that, and we might portray that, but that's not it. The number one need of every man in this room is affirmation. Every man wants to know, am I strong? Am I strong enough for you? Am I man enough for you? Do I have what it takes? Can I be that leader? Now, the truth is, most men today play for the audience of the loudest applause. And ladies, that is why it's so important that you encourage your man, that you affirm your man, that when your man tries to be the type of man that God wants him to be, that you encourage him, that you, you, know, that you pat him on the back, that you tell him, good job, well done. You know, by the way, that's why so many guys uh, flex in front of a mirror. You know, listen, there are mirrors today in a gym for only two reasons. One, for men to look at themselves. Two, for men to look at women across the room and get the right angle on the mirror, okay? That's the only reason why mirrors are in a, a gym. You know, um, how, many of, how many of you have ever seen your wives flex in front of a mirror? Okay, that, I mean, that typically does not happen. And I'm not saying she doesn't spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, but probably not not flexing in front of the mirror. In fact, let's, okay, <laughs> Tracy, but you're, you're, you know, you're buff and strong and okay, but let's, let's put this to the test right here, right now. If you got a man with you next to you right now, here's what I want you to do. 
Okay, women, I want you to, I want you to touch his, his arm. Go right now. Go over there and grab his arm. Touch his arm. Okay, now, let, let, me, let me prove a point. Every single man in this room, when I said to do that, they flexed their muscle. <laughs> you know you did. If you didn't, you're a liar. Because you, you want to say, baby, it's always that tight. You know, like, listen, that's not the truth. You flex. Now, guys will do that. Girls don't do that. They don't care, okay? But here's the thing. Here's the problem with 2014. And I believe this is what David saw. This is what the Apostle Paul saw. And it's true today in our culture. And you can see this in the beginning of this movie. We have tried to define our strength, our manhood, through all these different ways. And we're, we're, we're ending up empty. Our families are a mess. We're getting to the end of our lives, and men are having midlife crisis. And the reason is, is because they've tried to find their strength in all of the wrong places. Your strength comes from the Lord. We, have lived in a, we live in a world that's robbed men of their true manhood. That's robbed men of their identity. We have given men a picture of what it looks like to be a man. And quite frankly, that's not the picture that's found in Scripture. It's not the picture that's found in, in, in the Bible. It's this, this macho, you know, cursing, drinking, sleeping around, climbing up the ladder. Listen, I want to give you a better picture. Did you know that the Bible says, listen up, men, that you were created in the image of of a holy God. You were made in the image of the perfect heavenly Father. The problem is you think, many men think, that God is just distant or weak, that he's nothing more than a doting, you know, kind of senile grandfather type figure rocking back in a, in a, in a rocking chair having nothing to do with planet Earth. Listen, if you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. But the problem, again, is that some of you have this picture of Jesus in your mind that looks like he was torn out of a children's Bible. That Jesus is some sort of a effeminate, sheep-carrying sissy man. That's not Jesus. You know, no man growing up says, I want to be like that. You need to get a new image of Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus was a man's man. And let me define that for you, because it's big, it's broad. Yes, he worked with his hands. He was a carpenter. He knew appropriately when to get righteously anger, when he flipped over tables and cleared out a crowd from the temple with a whip. He called people out. He wasn't afraid to cry in front of the crowd and show his emotions. He stood up for right. He knew what he believed in, and he stood up for it. And he carried a cross. A big, huge tree on his back up a hill called Calvary. And a soldier took railroad spikes and beat them into his hands and into his feet. And he died on a cross for you and me. And that's a man. Don't let this world shrink you down into their mold of what a man should be. Don't revoke your man card. You are not a coward. You are not weak. You are not an animal who has no control over his, his urges or what he sees or where he goes or where he what he drinks. You are created in the image of God. Do not live beneath that. And so here's what I want us to do on Father's Day. I want us to take a straightforward look at two guys in the Bible, two role models that I think we can follow, that I think we can be like. Their names are Timothy 
and Epaphroditus. And again, ladies, if we're here today, and you're here and you're thinking this has nothing to do with me, it has a lot to do with you. If you see these character traits in your man, encourage them. Applaud them. If you don't see them in him, pray for him. And if you're not married yet, don't settle for anything less. Because you will, you will fall short and you will find yourself empty. Let me give you some values that God's looking for in a real man. Number one, God is looking for men of compassion who put people before prophets. Men of compassion who put people before prophets. Compassion, an easy definition of compassion, is just somebody who puts others' needs ahead of their own. Timothy, Paul says, is an example of this. Verses 20 and 21, he says, I have nobody else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone else looks out for his own interest, not for those of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. Is it possible to get so wrapped up, so committed to your business, to your work, to your schedule, to climbing up the ladder, that you forget the very people that you claim you love the most? Your family your children, and you wind up forgetting the purpose for living. And don't you sit here today and claim that you're doing that for them. Because one day you will find yourself broken and empty in a ruined family. Listen to the Phillips translation of this verse. They're all wrapped up in their own affairs. Man, that describes an awful lot of people today, by the way, and not just men, men and women, people who say, well, I'd like to help, I'd like to serve, I'd like to love my family, I'd like to pray with my kids, but I'm too what? Busy. I don't have the time. A great example of a man with compassion, of course, is the, the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Most of you probably know the story. Let me real quickly give you a modern translation. It goes something like this. A man's on a business trip. Uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, along the road, he finds a guy who's been mugged. He stops. He administers some first aid. He takes him down to the local Holiday Inn. He checks him in. He gives them his gold card. He says, charge everything to my account. And a lot of times we read that story, we go, man, that's great. That's compassion. Boy, I could do that. I'm just like that, you know. If I were on a trip, I could do that for a total stranger, sure, you know. And God is looking for men like that who put people before prophets. But then here's where the rubber meets the road. Sure, it's easy to do that for a stranger. No strings attached. Never have to see them again. Never have to get messy or dirty. But the question is, are you man enough to do it for the people in your home? The people that you see every day, your wife, your children, are you willing to put their needs ahead of your own, above your schedule, above making a buck? Are you willing from time to time to actually pencil them in on your calendar and to keep that appointment? Are you willing to say no to another business meeting, no to your own needs, and say yes to playing with your kids? Yes to a date night with your wife. Yes to discovering and meeting your family's needs. If you don't, I promise you, your family will become like a stranger on the side of the road, feeling like they've been mugged and left for dead. And I see it every day. Number two, God is looking for men of consistency who put their character before conformity. Men of consistency who put character 
before conformity. In other words, they're not afraid to be different than the typical man. They're not afraid to be different from the world around them. They're not afraid to stand alone. They're not afraid. They put character before being like everybody else. Look at verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. The word proved there means tested integrity. Tested character over time. Integrity. Man, Talk about an endangered species today. This is it. We live in a world that basically says, hey, there's no right or wrong. You know, if, if, if right is right for you, that's fine. There's really no standard. Whatever is your standard is acceptable. Hey, I don't want to be the judge. You know, you know whatever is right for you is right. And, and, you know, do whatever feels right. Do whatever you got to do to climb the ladder. If you got to lie, cheat, and steal to do it, then so be it. Now, again, the truth is, you turn on the news today, you turn on the television, you turn, you know, look on the internet, we, we are bombarded with politicians and pastors and everybody in between lacking integrity. Here's a good definition of integrity. When the private you and the public you are identical. You know, integrity is not having to look over your shoulder and see who's looking, to see who's listening to what you're saying or what you're doing. You know, I've been in ministry now. I've been the pastor of this church almost 25 years, and my prayer for my children, for, for me, as far as my relationship to my kids and my family is this, that I am the same Chris Rollins that they see on the stage that I am in our home. That's integrity. You know, if your life were to be aired on the 6 o'clock news, would that freak you out? If your last date, single adults, was to be aired on these screens right now, would you freak out? Integrity. The Bible puts it this way in Proverbs 10, 9. The man of integrity walks securely. In other words, he doesn't have to be afraid. He's confident. But, the, but he who takes that crooked path, you will be found out. Guys, the bottom line for men is, is character. It's integrity. Your true success is built over the long haul, not based on your image, not based on your bank account. But your character, your integrity. And a man of integrity is not afraid of, of, of what people are going to see, whether they're in the home or by themselves or out, at, out in the public. The question is, is your private life consistent with your public image? If not, you will be found out. Because inconsistent men produce insecure children. Inconsistent Husbands produce unstable marriages. God's looking for men of compassion. He's looking for men of consistency. Number three, God is looking for men of commitment. Men of commitment who put the cause of Christ before their own comfort. Paul uses Epaphroditus as an example of this. He says, he is your messenger whom you sent to take care of my, my needs. 
Indeed, he was ill and what? What's the two words? Almost died, but God had mercy on him. So what's going on here? Let me give you a little bit of context, okay? The Apostle Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's in prison in Rome, and the people of Philippi took up kind of a love offering uh, to take care of his needs and, and his expenses. But the problem was it was an 800-mile trip, six weeks over very rough terrain. And basically, they're having like a church meeting, and Epaphroditus goes, I'll do it right here. I'm your man. And so at great personal expense, he travels over 800 miles to Rome. Now, somewhere along the way, somehow, we're not exactly sure what happened. He gets a disease or an infection. Some he gets ill, and he almost dies. How many of you have ever been on a vacation or a trip, and you get sick? I mean, that is nasty. That's awful, isn't it? I mean, imagine this. Epaphroditus, you know, he's away from home. He's, he's away from his own surroundings. And yet, despite of the fact that he almost dies, he basically says, hey, I got a job to do, and I'm going to see it through to the end. I'm going to get it done. I don't care how I feel because the cause of Jesus Christ is more important than my own personal comfort. Now, there are a lot of men today who are great starters, and you even see this in the church and the kingdom, like, woo, they get all pumped up, they get all excited, we're going to do this, but then they don't finish, and they quit. Because it's either inconvenient, or it becomes costly, or uncomfortable, and requires some effort. Guys, let me let you in on something. Following Jesus, taking up your cross, it is costly. There is a price tag. And God is looking for men who are willing to pay the price. Listen, if you want to serve Jesus and his church without any cost, without any effort, without you know, any inconveniences, then forget it. Stay at home with the wimps, turn on your television, and go to St. Mattress on Sunday. Okay? Because God's not looking for that. God's looking for committed men who will stand up for the cause of Jesus and who will put that before their own personal comfort. Epaphroditus didn't say, well, I'd like to help, but it's not really good for me right now. This is kind of a bad stretch for me, and it's a little inconvenient, and I'm too busy. He said, I'm your man. I'll do it. I'll take it. And he took off on an 800-mile journey, got sick along the way, almost died, but he finished the task. A man finishes what he starts. And I believe that spiritual awakening, revival will occur in the church today and in our world today when men rise up and become participators. They get off the, the sidelines and they get down into the game and they, they're, they're men of initiative. They take the, the role of, a, of initiator in their home. You know, they're, they're men of commitment. Number four, God's looking for men of courage who put service before security. Service before security. You know, our value system today in, in, in today's culture and again, you see this loud and clear in the first part of the movie, is basically, hey, what's most important is your nest egg. 
you know, do everything you can to build your nest egg, to provide security for yourself, and we want to be secure. We want to be financially independent. And security becomes the goal rather than service. Listen, God is looking for people who are willing to risk for the kingdom of God, who are willing to walk and live by faith. Look at verses 29 and 30. It says this. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you couldn't give me. The word risk there, risking, it, it literally means it's a gambling term. That means hazarding your own life, staking everything on something valuable. Epaphroditus, in other words, gambled everything for the gospel. He risked his life for Jesus. And I know some of you are thinking, man, Pastor Chris, you're coming on kind of strong today, you know, on men here. You know, you're coming down hard on us. Do you know why? Because there are churches today all across our country that are filled with nothing more than, than wimp religion. You know, there are no goals, no purpose, no challenge. And all following Jesus is, for a lot of churches, it's just a simply a series of meetings. Well, let's just come and sit, and enjoy, and soak, and drink some good coffee, and enjoy some good food, and let's all go home. And nothing challenges people to be all that God wants them to be. You know, one of the fears that I have about the church and about Coastal is that one day down the road, we're going to become nothing more than a nice, sweet little church where we live in the past and we come in and we talk about things that are really nice and sweet and we walk home here without changing lives, without changing the world, without beating down the very gates of hell and rescuing people one, one by one, without walking by faith, without attempting great things for God. That's why men today are so unfulfilled. That's why men today are having midlife crises. Because they're not risking anything for Jesus. They've stopped walking by faith. And if you stop walking by faith, you don't have anything to live for. You've got to have a challenge bigger than yourself. Bigger than just bringing home a paycheck. I know too many men, excuse me, boys who don't even have enough faith, enough guts to tithe because they're worried about their security. How can I make it on 90%? I can't afford to do that. I got to be secure. Mark 8.35, Jesus said this, only those who give away their lives for my sake and the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. My question is, guys, do you want to live? If you do, go for broke with Jesus. That's what he's saying. Give away your life on his behalf. You know, if you'll say, I am willing to sacrifice this, then you'll know what it means to live. You want a goal bigger than yourself to live for? Let me give you one. It's called the church. It's called the body of Christ, the bride of Jesus, the kingdom of God. It is the hope of this world. And guys, let me tell you something. There are people all around you. Open your eyes and your heart to see people the way God does because there are people all around you that are either alive in Jesus or they are dead in their sin. And God is wanting to use you as your man, as God's man, as God's woman to, to bring people to him. 
to help people cross over from death to life. You, we ought to be living your entire life as nothing more than a missionary in a foreign land, penetrating our culture with the gospel of Jesus. You are salt. You are light. We are to be praying and loving and building relationships, inviting people to church, sharing the good news. We are to be the feet and the hands of Jesus in a hurting and dying world. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's why I get out of bed. That's why I'm not going to have a midlife crisis. Grow up. I feel strongly about what I'm saying today. I think in 2014, God is looking for men of consistency and commitment and compassion and courage. And your family is looking for that. Your wife is looking for that. And your children are looking for that. The sad part of this verse can be said today, though. This is what breaks my heart. In verse 20, Paul said this about Timothy. I got nobody else like him. Why? Are we just satisfied with being typical men? Guys, the greatest challenge you will ever face in this life is the challenge to man up and live for Jesus in front of your wife, in front of your children, when you're on the boat in the river, when you're alone on that business trip, when you're at school, to live for Jesus in front of the people in your life. And my question to you is this. Are you man enough to do it? Because when you look at your life 10 years from now, 50 years from now, is it going to make a difference? Will it make a difference? Man, I want my life to count for Jesus. And I know there's a lot of men in here today that do, that do as well. And I've been encouraged and strengthened by so many men that I've discovered here at Coastal that are men of compassion and consistency and courage. And I want to pray for all of us today. I want to pray for our families. I want to pray for the men. And I believe there might be some people here today that need to come home to Jesus. Because that's where it starts. It, it's, it's, be, it's being man enough to submit yourself to humble yourself to the only perfect man there ever was who went to a cross and died for your sin and for mine. And that's the starting place. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you today. Thank you that you are the perfect, loving, heavenly Father. I know there are people today sometimes that have a rough time with today because they have a hard time thinking about you in terms of their father because of their earthly father. But, God, what, whatever we need, whatever we did not have, you are all that and more. And so we come to you right now. God, I pray for the men of this church. I pray that we would together, all of us, myself included, that we would rise up and be the men that you've called us to be in this church, in this community that we would be men of courage and compassion, consistency and commitment. And Father, I pray for the women who are here today who are single, that they would settle for nothing less. I pray for those who are in relationships, that when they see these character traits, they would encourage them, applaud them. And when they don't, they would pray and support and love. 
Father, I pray for those who are here today who have not yet bended their knee in humble submission to you. Maybe today is that day. Cry out to your loving Heavenly Father and say, God, forgive me. I need you in my life. I need forgiveness. I've messed up. In fact, today I repent of my my former way of life and I turn to you. I ask you to forgive me. And it's all based on the fact that I believe, God, that Jesus is your son. That you sent him willingly, lovingly, as a sacrifice for my sin. In other words, I recognize it was my sin that made him carry that cross. That, that he accepted those nails into his feet, into his hands, that he hung on that tree. It was because of me, my sin. They put him in that grave, but death could not contain him. Your power and your love were too great. God, I believe that he, re- he rose from the dead and he is alive. For the rest of my days, God, I want to live for you. I put all my hope on him and him alone. And I just want to say thank you for the rest of my life. It's not something I can earn or work for, but just something I can say thank you for. Father, may this church, Coastal, be the church that you called us to be. May we love and serve and give and change this world one life at a time. When we come here to gather, may they still see the smoke and the steam rise from our shoulders from the gates of hell that we have beat down during the week because we've been your missionaries in a foreign land doing your work for the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, we're going to continue worship this morning by allowing you a a time to kind of just reaffirm your walk with Christ, to recalibrate your life a little bit, um, but also really and most importantly to remember and give thanks. And we're going to do that through the Lord's Supper. All around the auditorium, there are tables that contain emblems of communion, the Lord's Supper. It's a cup of juice and a piece of bread, and they're symbols of the body and the blood of Christ. And so if you're a believer today, we invite you to go to one of those tables to, to give thanks. You can go with friends and family. If you, if you do that and you want to pray together, just kind of step off to the side and make room for others. Maybe you just want to go back to your, your seat and quiet reflection. But whatever, make this a time of worship a time of giving thanks. Let's take communion.